0: Hello and welcome to the Horse Heretics episode 28. I'm William. And I'm Neil. And today we're discussing The First Heretic by Aaron Dembski Bowden. Um, Well, we're discussing the first part of that. Um, And this is uh, about the Wordbearers, who we've had a fair bit of contact with in these books already, but um, this is kind of a whole novel dedicated to them. So, um, Neil, anything you'd like to share before we. Get into this story.
1: Um, I guess it just touches on what you've just said. That um, I was downhearted after the last episode, and then I find out that it's a, it's the Word Bearers, and I wasn't quite sure what to think about that because they've been interesting insofar as they kind of layer it on thick when it comes to the kind of pro wrestling metaphors, and I like that, but also <laughs> I thought we were going to get like a really generic teal so I was just like. And I, I, was sure I hadn't read this book before, so I, d- I, didn't know what to think before, before reading it. But I'm very sure what I think now.
0: Yeah, and, and as I with it. most uh, uh, legions that are going to turn to chaos, they already have their like their banners and shit come like pre-decorated with loads of skulls on it already. Um, so to help us know <laughs> that that's what's going to happen. Do you think um, it's the,
1: that was like a, a sort of a large part in their decision to change? Is like. We've got all this shit, like, <laughs> and we put it all over our ships. Like our ships are like flying cathedrals. Uh, my my
0: yeah. armor contains a
1: hundred skulls already.
0: <laughs> and, we, and they're like, <laughs> at this point, it would be easier just to turn chaos than to to to, to, to <laughs> exactly. renovate all of that.
1: I fear that the emperor is going to like put out an edict of some kind where he <laughs> insists on like understated traditional armor.
0: And I'm very much against that. <laughs> so that's really yeah, that's that's made my decision for me. Um, <laughs> to go back to your point about uh, the finding this book refreshing after the last one, um, I was just the book started off immediately. It was just into the yeah. kind of just literally like the the first few lines were like this. I was like, this is what I'm after. This is the this is the kind of portentous bombastic. You know large scale (laughs) stuff that I'm after here and it was because it's like can you imagine looking up and seeing the stars fall from the sky can you imagine the heavens themselves raining fire upon the world below and I was like I mean I didn't know what I was about at that stage I still don't actually but um the point is that's the kind of stuff I'm, I'm here for
1: and there's also like a bit of sort of bad temperedness that follows that line or something like like can you imagine it no you can't can you. Yeah, you can't <laughs> imagine it. Don't tell me you can imagine it when you can <laughs> You shithead. All right, all right. But yeah, like we we don't really uh talk about how we are viewing the books as we're reading them because we want to sort of come into these discussions fresh. But I think you did send me something just like oh man, it's so nice just to have one of these one
0: of these books back up and running again after <laughs> yeah. the last one. This is good. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess we'll get on to our assessment of the book. I felt like this book, in terms of just discussing the story, it was, um, you know, we've complained in the past about, like, pointless, overly long, boring scenes to get the story from point A to point B. I thought this story did quite a good job of of just quickly clipping along from...
1: Yeah, stru- structurally, it, tri- it doesn't try to do anything. It is a nice... Sort of chronological movement. It's not cutting between two or three or four interleaving different storylines. Yeah. It's pretty much all together. And yeah. um, for, for for this book, it just works so much more effectively as a
0: simple telling. Wait, there idea. is there is one bit so far where someone is telling someone else a story, and it's cutting between you know them telling the story yes. and the the uh the, the the story they're telling um and but it's it's done fine it's, it works well um but anyway let's let's sort of dive into it. so it's really really more than most it's a real sort of in media res start to this where yeah. we're, we're sort of just um dropped right into a pretty dramatic moment where there's basically been a planet called monarchia that uh, the word bearers had originally, conquered or whatever the word they use is you know they they had driven out the made compliant made compliant that's it and they set it up as like what they saw as the perfect world kind of thing which was um basically they had made them all worship the emperor as a god but also it was like really seemed to be like a really good place in lots of other ways as well you know like um they just like taking the time, and it's just something that emphasises that Lorgar, the primarch of the of the word bearers, likes to sort of take his time really establishing a new world for the Imperium. Yeah,
1: and that, that comes up in accusation, really, later on, is that he lingers over these compliances and really beds, beds it in. And in fact, it was mentioned in one of the previous books when uh, they might have been talk- talking about the Dark Angels or something, but where they're, they're saying that um, Lorgar has like really far fewer compliances than any of the rest. But his his worlds stay compliant when others don't. Yeah. And uh, we get that um, impression from this what we hear about Monarchia, which is also called the perfect city. And we sort of uh, we learn all of this as ultramarines land on this compliant world, bringing word of the emperor uh, and giving a declaration to the city that everyone must evacuate within seven days. They don't give any word as to what will happen or why they must leave or give any thought for their future or anything like that. It
0: just says the emperor has decreed this. You have to go. Yeah, and like when they when they they first turn up, the ultramarines like the the people there are like, oh, the angels have come back, which is is them referring to the the word bearers. But they they then they see it's it they look similar but slightly different, and then. Um, and, and a lot of this is recounted through the perspective of Cyrene, who um, becomes a fairly central character.
1: She, she's... Uh, I didn't get a very good impression of this. She's a sort of minor
0: religious figure, I I got. It, it's not really explained fully, I don't think. Yeah, no, you're right. Like, And I kind of got... I, mean, I could be totally wrong in this, but I got the sense that they were... She was like a sort of sex worker, but in some kind of religious context... Perhaps, because like they kept on, there kept on being lines where there was this particular word, I can't remember what it was. Um, like but was Shula, like, yeah, Shula, I think, yeah. And it was yeah. like saying, Oh, she appreciated like such and such using the respectful term for her.
1: Um, that's r- that's right. And and towards this, the very beginning, people were trying to touch her, and she was like, y- You don't touch in this context, or something like that. that. And she reached for like a a dagger that was attached to her inner thigh or something like that which yeah I think you might be I think you might be right I that. mean
0: I'm not sure it could just be that she is some like sort of lowly religious order that's meant to be looked down upon or something but I just I kind of got the impression that's what those yeah. uh, bits were were suggesting but I'm not sure They gather a lot of people and uh, read out this declaration. They don't really
1: talk with them. They just read out the declaration. They have to go. And a lot of people from the crowd start saying like, well, what are we to do? What, you know, what's to become of us, basically? And the Ultramarine just reads it out again, that he doesn't care. He's just like, I'm delivering this message. That's what I have to do. You will have to comply with the message. That's what you have to do. And once we all agree to that, we'll be all right. But then like somebody like throws a bottle or something which is obviously of absolutely no danger to the ultramarines and they basically open up on them and kill most of them and the reason i like i don't really know what to say about this is that um we were reading this at this time obviously and there's a lot of sort of extrajudicial killing and you know of protesters and stuff like that and i don't think anybody comes to us for uh, interesting debate on that topic, or that we are the people who can add anything of value to this, but it was just a, a hard passage to read, I guess.
0: Yeah, and the like that all gets really violent very quickly. As Space Marines are wont to do, after a bit of like massacring, they um, they sort of drop some sort of orbital bombardment, completely obliterate Monarchia, basically Cyrene had sort of escaped the the violence in the city and she kind of sees this from a distance and it blinds her yeah the 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 light from the uh from the explosion and
1: the orbital lances i'm guessing that are used just like burns out her eyes in in some way yeah it's a kind of poetic story that they can tell is that the last thing that this you know religious figure of the perfect city saw was uh, the destruction by the Ultramarines. Yeah. Can can I can I talk about this just for a second? Because sure. For some reason, well, I say for some reason. I've got it written down. For some reason, that Monarchy were allowed to send one distress call. Uh, we learn why that is, I suppose. So um, uh, I find that out. But whenever the people of Monarchy are allowed to send this call, it really reads less than a less as of a distress distress call and more of like a hip hop diss track. Because they're just like they spend it all. They ask for the word bearer's help. But most of it is talking about how shitty the ultramarines are. <laughs> and, and so they're just like we would like some help because these fucking assholes have come and they're not true angels and they're blasphemers and they're heretics and they're destroying everything and they won't tell us what they're gonna do. And just like it's uh, like it's tough for me to read something about like people trying to save their world from complete destruction, while also think from their distress called geez what a whining fucking bunch of losers," <laughs> and, and yet I did think that. But anyway, they they've called for for help from uh, the Wordbearers Legion, and it arrives pretty much, like, really quite soon in the grand scheme of things, the entire legion comes running.
0: Yeah, and and when they get there, they're being, like, ushered down onto the planet by a small-ish force of um, ultramarines. The, yeah, they're ordered, ordered yeah. down. Because yeah. it
1: we read about this chapter master Dumos character who's not a very important part. In his description I found like so much that I liked about this book (laughs) because it says that um, he has poetry written all over his face but not just his (laughs) face, all over his armour too and his pauldron um, is carved into the shape of a a book but not just a book, the book is on fire (laughs)
0: Oh yeah, I I thought it, like I, for a minute I thought it was literally on fire, but then it turns out it's um yeah it's but, like yeah, sculpted, but, but still good.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Like, but it, it's not just a book, but it's on it's on fire, but it's sculpted, but out of bronze, and like th- the entire book is just like this thing, but also this thing, but also one more thing on top of that, and another thing to make it crazier, and um, I I was just like. Th- this is very good
0: oh yeah Wait, you're right that guy was described in quite a lot of detail and rarely featured for the rest I don't of know who he is so far
1: yeah I've written it down because that's the sort of uh, the order it came in the book but I don't know his importance
0: so. yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I picked up on some good quotes about him as well it's saying, the personal a- armour of chapter master Dumas was unashamedly brazen in its declaration of his accomplishments <laughs> On a similar note, there was like it talks about one of the massive word Bearers sh- spaceships, and it's basically, um, it's basically covered in churches, like this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> it's decorated with places of worship on the outside of it. Um, <laughs> I thought that was good. Uh, so they, yeah, like, they e- turn up in that in their glory yeah. like
1: that. And L- Lorgar tries to give. Uh, we know about the word bearers is they like to give um, unnecessary speeches, basically. <laughs> and L- Lorgar gets on the Vox to try and give uh, this speech about the destruction of the perfect city to his entire legion. Uh, but f- somehow, he's cut off. Uh, <laughs> like He's just interrupted mid-conversation with Gilliman just saying, um, you're ordered to the... Uh, all word bearers are ordered... Including their Primarch, by me, to uh, the surface of the planet at this time, uh, in this place, be there.
0: Yeah, um, and, and they're all like, "Oh, the disrespect." More to come Warfare. on that. <laughs> so they, but they do go down. They're kind of ushered down, like we say, ordered down. They all line up, and the the much smaller number of Ultramarines line up to to kind of face them, and and uh, Gulliman is there, and. Malkador is there as well. Malkador, the the situator. Yeah,
1: we're sort of a, a introduced to the main our main characters within the the word bearers who are our protagonists, and we have uh, Argyll Tal, who I guess is our the the main character in this story, and he turns out to be a fairly common figure that we've read about before. So he's he's a, a chapter leader, um, so fairly high up and respected within the legion, but we also get. He, <laughs> In the same way that Loken or Garou was within their stories, he is a well-respected warrior, but also he seems to be slightly apart from... He he feels slightly aloof from, you know, the main believers within his legion. Um, And so we are uh, kind of meant to be on his side as he struggles with uh, his identity within you know, the the changing nature of, of their
0: loyalties. Yeah, it's, there's like bits pointing towards that, but most of that's not in terms of his character, massively developed. No. In this part of the book. And and his um the other probably main character is a guy called Zafin that goes along with him who's a chaplain. And he hates Corferon. Oh yeah. We've had him before as a character was it not like I think he's his name's popped up probably in more than one, but I think It was Battle for the Abyss.
1: Zephan calls Corpheron, like, a false Astartes. uh, And he rose through... uh, He rose to the position that he's in through nepotism because he taught Lorgar before, you know, the Legion all came together and before the Emperor found them. So, to my mind, that brought to mind Luther.
0: Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: And in the description of Corpheron, once again... um, It was just one thing piled on top of another. So he's not an Astartes. He was too old to be uh, implanted with all the, uh, you know, gene seed banter. So he's still a human, but he's actually about a metre taller than the rest of the Astartes because he's in Terminator armour. And he's been given all of these different rejuvenation treatments and bionics and gene forging. Oh, and he spits acid as well. Does he? Uh, yeah, he he spat and
0: uh, it his acid spit like burned on the ground. Oh, right.
1: Really? Yeah, yeah. I know it was just like so. I assume
0: away. if I read that, I must have just thought that's just metaphor, but or, or <laughs> didn't, yeah, well, p- didn't pick up. on Maybe that. he also has
1: like a big mechanical Freddy Krueger gloves on, <laughs> but electric ones. So, so it was just like it was just like this this massive. Ludicrous dis- descriptive um, paragraph that I was just like
0: sort of jumping up and down in my seat when I was reading. It was just so fun. And uh, <laughs> quite a funny line, I thought. said, Unlike the gathered captains, Corferon wore no helm, and it was fair to say no poet or painter could ever portray the first captain as a handsome being without liberal <laughs> artistic wife. <line." laughs>
1: <laughs> He's an ugly man. <laughs> I've got a, a line written here because um, uh, Zifin is the lead chaplain, lead lead chaplain, excuse me, of the Serrated Sons, so the religious leader, and Argaltal is the sort of military commander, and they're friends. And Zifin seems to be like a a, a bit more of a, a wild, uh, emotional person, and he's told, "Guard your soul, brother. Mind your humors." <laughs> Advice so. we
0: could all do well to be <laughs> at times, eh? uh. indeed,
1: indeed. So they're all lining up, and as you say, the, um, the I think there are a hundred thousand of the word bearers to like a hundred ult- ultramarines or something. So it's it's this um, kind of a face-off. Obviously, no violence,
0: and yeah, they they have the sense that there's yeah bad shit is about to happen, and it. That- it does mainly through the person of uh, Gulliman, who is portrayed like it's really funny how he's described. Like he's like almost described as he's literally like a robot. Like, yeah,
1: yeah. He 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 almost doesn't respond to any input
0: apart from ones that he's planned for. You know, I mean, it's like it's like this sort of on the way he's described as it, it's like they almost literally sounds like there's nothing going on behind the eyes. You know, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> which i thought was like wild and they really don't but they but like they they think he's really arrogant which didn't really particularly come across it just seemed like totally stupid <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. i want to read this line that um Argyl-Tal, um uh, he says Argyltal wasn't sure whether to be mystified by the display or insulted by it he settled for both <laughs> 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 ludicrous line. <laughs> that is funny. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, and I was like, so in the course of this... Esther, so there is a little bit of violence here when... Because uh, Malkador is there as well with Gulliman and Oh yeah, like the, the,
1: there is. And, and when I said that there was no provocation... There was no provocation at the start, I think. Because the, the the whole sort of refrain that is going through the Legion is like... We will get our answers here. We will finally understand... What happened to Monarchia? We know that it was the um, that it was destroyed by the ultramarines. What we need to know Is why that happened? What how are they going to explain themselves in any kind of satisfying way? uh, About this sort of the crimes that they've committed here. Anyway, so Malkador appears beside Gilliman and Everyone's unhappy to see him because he is basically the voice of the Emperor. His presence pretty much says that Gilliman didn't act alone. He had, you know, imperial
0: warrant for what he just did. Yeah. Lorgar calls uh Malkador a few things to the effect of like these is like a sniveling little weasel who, you know, whispers things in people's ears and stuff. But actually like I came out this thinking, God Malcador Malkador's pretty brave actually. Um yeah. in that he sort of faces up to these like genetically enhanced superhumans, humans and uh, I mean admittedly he has magic but um. <laughs> but like there, there are a few bits that we've sort of scooted over that gives the
1: you know the traditional kind of orgasmic meetings with with Primarchs yeah. um, <laughs> you can take Ma- that as red pretty much now exactly but Makedor doesn't you know he, he's not jizzing himself when he's in the presence of these two Primarchs he's holding his own uh, until he gets battered by Lorgar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he falls like 20 metres away. And he whispers that the Emperor knew that uh, this was going to happen. In fact, the Emperor ordered that this was going to happen. And Lorgar is like kind of so aghast. It's kind of embarrassing that he's, you know, being taken for such a fool.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and the gist of it is what we already pretty much know about the word bearers, that they were basically worshipping the emperor as a god, and they were essentially establishing that belief on places like monarchia, and seemingly, well it actually says this explicitly, this had been sort of, you know, the word bearers question later on in the book, this had been basically, why did the emperor let this go on for ages if it was so bad? Um, But for whatever reason he's clamping down it now and in their tried and tested fashion their response to that is to commit total genocide upon <laughs> a world yes. um, yeah but we
1: uh, w- we haven't um, described yet is the emperor teleporting down onto the planet that's right Yeah, everyone hears a voice in their heads and it's not like it's not a real sound it's the emperor talking to each individual in their head commanding them to kneel um and Argyll Tal makes mention of the sort of his resentfulness at this as it, it feels like it's sort of a fealty by slavery. Um, it because it wasn't a choice that any of them made. They felt sort of compelled to kneel. Um, and he insists it of Lorgar as well, but not Gilliman. And then the Ultramarines are also kneeling, but they get up while the rest of the word bearers are, are forced to stay in that kneeling position. What the fuck does the emperor think he's doing here? Like this this is complete like a public humiliation as a form of punishment. Yeah. He hasn't even told what told them what they're being punished for. But uh, this this sort of military confraternity is being shamed, publicly shamed in the eyes of their
0: peers and their family and their god. And like and he doesn't even try to like smooth things over in the manner that he did after like the Council of Nikea with, Mag- with Magnus as you <laughs> pointed out where it's like this is a, essentially a trial of Magnus but he tries to like generalize it into a thing. <laughs> um no, in this one he like literally doubles down on it, doesn't he? He's he's like, you guys are the you guys are the worst. Like you've <laughs> done much worse than everyone else and yeah. in lots of different ways. Yeah. Um, y-
1: you are yeah, like literally calls them failures. Yeah. Um they should be ashamed at How compliance is so slow for them that they spend years on compliant worlds. That he has created them as warriors. You're not, you're not poets, you're not religious leaders, you're uh, you're warriors. And Lorgar, you're a general, and you must be, you should go out there and be a killer
0: yeah. because uh, you're not of value if you're not that. And like, um, sorry, I think this is actually this happens just before the emperor appears, but Gilliman shows a a similar um lack of regard for the feelings of the word beaters when like already seeing that like um worger is really pissed off he's like is your tantrum concluded Warger? i must return to the crusade <laughs> just- oh that's right yeah that i liked it when he when he
1: called it a tantrum because it was like a really hissy fit that he was throwing uh, he, he he punched him in the face oh no he, he clubbed him with his Crucius. Malkador, yeah. Um, no,
0: no, no, uh, Gilliman as well. But does he hit Gilliman? Yeah, yeah, he puts him on his ass too. Oh yeah, and Gilliman's just like dust himself off and just like goes like I think up Wizard. I think yeah I think that is when he goes, uh, is your embarrassing
1: tantrum over now, Lurgar? And that must have really fucking sucked when when that happens. But um like for for all of it I, I won't go into how stupid I think the emperor is. I've gone into that before. This can just be added to the list. But there, I mean, there can be no more short-sighted and stupid action. Like I honestly can't think what else the emperor would think would happen here. Except he make, he does make it worse by saying, um, "You must go back to the crusade, get better, get faster compliances, stop this religious bullshit, and I'm going to set." I'm going to put a few um, prison wardens into your legion as well, so here's some custodies that are going to be looking at everything you do and making sure that it ticks all the right boxes, and don't let me hear of any of this religious nonsense. Like, it's madness. It's utter
0: madness. Yeah, so so they have some custodies going about with them, which they really resent, and, um, and this, then sort of after this, with a speed that was just felt was one of the few bits of this book that felt like slightly clunky to me they basically are like uh, actually let's double down on the religion guys, the word daters <laughs> uh.
1: yeah it, it's an interesting like. It, you're absolutely right it's, it's too much of a of a, a sort of changing course, it should really be an entire book that they give give to that really or more but it is given a chapter which is more than these kind of things have been given before the like Gr- grilgore let's remember him he did it in a line i think didn't he he was just like uh, okay
0: chaos it <laughs> <is>. um <laughs> can i just he says yeah i'm up for that and then like the next line's like and what's how like what's the process for signing up for like extra limbs and stuff how like how quickly can i get one of those um this all takes place in like
1: on on a ship um, I'm not sure whether I pictured it like this or whether it was described as this, but Corferon, Erebus, and uh, Lorgar are all in like a sweat tent. They've taken their tops off. They're all getting, you know, they're all getting to know each other a little bit better. There's some sl- self-flagellation going on, and Lorgar is whinging his fucking head off. It's uh, it's difficult to read. He says he won't be a general. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want destruction. He's a builder. He's not a destroyer. And then Corpharon and Erebus basically are like, you know, we've always had our doubts about this, the emperor, as, as God. I think, I think he's kind of an imperfect God. And I think there's more, you know, th- there may be more gods out there. And we need to sort of find out someone worthy of worship. Because faith is all important. The, you know, the apex of that faith uh, has to deserve it and maybe the Emperor doesn't anymore.
0: Quite a big change there. Uh, but then, th- and this is another bit that, like, I I really enjoyed this book I, as we'll get to, but this was, like, another bit that I found a little bit clunky that didn't really serve the story, and in fact maybe slightly because at, at this point, like, or sorry, up to the point that we've read to be honest, like, in most of the ways he's portrayed Lorgar has been one of the more sympathetic of the of the Primarchs and, and, and like we've had a few stories that try to do a kind of tragedy you know of like someone just trying to be something good and yeah. in the process like falling into chaos um, but for the most part uh, that was a story well told but in this bit of the book they decide they're going to really show that they're doing what the Emperor wants them to do in terms of quickly bringing worlds to compliance and like so, Warger says so. There's this, I can't remember what even. There's a world that has heretics, as they see it on it, and Warger uh, literally says, word bearers kill every man, woman, and child on that heretic world." And and like so, there's a chapter about that, which a little bit felt like just to get an action chapter, in you know, like in I... fighting on that planet, and then, and it sort of fucks up to me like the the book a little bit or I just thought it would have been better if they hadn't I, I, done no, that
1: I hear what you're saying to, to me though I have to say I I liked I liked the bit at the start of the chapter I, I you're totally right to say that it really felt like uh, we need an action scene here uh, I wouldn't disagree with that at all but at the at the start um Lorgar makes his reappearance and he says uh, in one of his sermons to all of his uh his warriors He says that um, we've come across this this planet. You know what the emperor has said about us needing to speed up compliance. I don't think that the people on this world are beyond saving, but we have to kill each and every person on the planet. I think what he's doing there is is saying that normally if it was up to me, I would be doing this our way, but it's the emperor that is requiring
0: the death of this, uh, or is requiring this genocide? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Like that's sort of the point he's making. But like, I suppose that just makes you think. Well, in making that point, you still carry out a genocide, and yes, one that you've kind of that happens after you've sort of already decided you're not going to agree with the emperor anyway. You know, like yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I feel like story wise, they could have just gone on to the next bit of them not agreeing with the emperor. But but anyway, like in this bit, there is some some good stuff and this is like your absolute as we we've seen on many occasions, your classic elegant civilization set up <laughs> to be destroyed with really like fancy glass architecture. They've got um the the, the primary defence on this planet is a bunch of robots which they take great offence at, the Space Marines. Um, and then there's a really brilliantly funny bit so uh, sorry, I don't think we've gone into this, but Sirene Cyrene goes with the word bearers. Yeah, I think that's all all we need to say. Yeah. So think- she she's with them now, and like Tal and Zaphan are being quite friendly to her, and like um, visiting her for chats. Like she was she's in really bad health, and um, she uh, is sort of mostly just sitting in her room recovering. Obviously, so she can't see from the blinding light, but. Um, they're having some chats with her, and and some of this fighting with these glass robot spider things is recounted through. Um, I can't remember it's or I think it's Argotel. I think it's Argotel too. Yeah, discussing telling Cyrene uh, about this. <laughs> this is brilliant because she's like, <laughs> so it's talking about how like they have a kind of a force of like robots basically that they deploy. Yeah. Um, in the battle and, and she's like she's like hold on a minute yeah it's nice to have an avatar in one
1: of these books isn't it <laughs> yeah. to have like the reader represented by just her going why and why, how is that different from your machines <laughs> and Arkel <laughs> Tal is just like it, it may sound like a fine definition but it's not it's, it, it's not it's, um, what, it's very clear
0: what he says is so funny and it's like I enjoyed it because I actually thought the writer like, I could be wrong but I, I thought the the writer was, was not intending this to be a convincing explanation, <laughs> you know what I mean just like <laughs> yeah, because um, she's like, you used artificials yourself <laughs> it's like, he'd been expecting this <laughs> and this, this is his, his circumlocutive explanation of this <laughs> The Legio Cybernetica is a treasured facet of the Mechanicum. The Great Crusade weans heaviest in the Legio Titanicus for their war war engines, but Cybernetica plays its role amongst the noblest astartist legions. Their artificials are robotic shells housing machine spirits. Cybernetica tech priests engineer organic synthetic minds from biological components. And it says, she re- yeah. she reached for a glass of water and she's probably just thinking, right, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, she's like, do you want to have another go with that one, mate? Because
0: th- <laughs> that, that ain't good. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it's like, I could just imagine him, like, spluttering out all these sentences, just, like, trying to convince himself as much as anything that there's a you know, there's a profound difference between these two types of synthetic beings but it was it was funny their
1: particular form of robot is like a war of the worlds tripod type robot with a, a,
0: a sort of humanoid torso type yeah. thing but made of glass because there's there's small ones and then there's really big ones that are called obsidians or that they call obsidians um and they have a bit of a hard time fighting those but they kind of deal with
1: yeah, they they have a terribly hard time fighting them until they call down the big guns, and then they have a terribly easy time destroying them. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And really, that's it. <laughs> that's the story of the of the whole thing.
0: Yeah, there's some some good bits of sort of sci-fi writing here, like um, where it's talking about like Argo Tal looking at the sunset and um, being like, "This is the twentieth, 20- the thirtieth different sunset." He'd seen. And I thought that's a good, that's a good little bit of sci-fi that places you in that scene. And there was lots of um, little bits of writing in this book that I just thought were of a higher standard than what we normally get um, in this series. Uh, and that was yeah, just an I, example, just something that, like you know, I guess it sort of, I guess it reminds you a bit of like the, you know, the the scene in Star Wars where Luke Skywalker's looking at the two sons. It's, it's just a very simple, um, yeah showing, not telling way of saying, you know, of, of of bringing you into a different universe, a different world. Um, yeah. Um, sorry, i have just looking up a note. So, like, broadly speaking, apart from this section where they commit the genocide of a planet, these characters are... The word bearers are relatively depicted as, in a kind of relatable way. But I just noticed I had a note saying that just said, what an arsehole, so I had to look up that. <laughs> um, and it was... Yeah, it was describing, like, so they sort of conquer this planet and it's talking about this square where they're basically kind of, you know, they're all meeting up and confirming their victory and it's saying, in better times it had served as a place of peace and celebration for the people of, si- of the city. Now it was being used to celebrate their an- annihilation and Argotal Tal found a quiet pleasure in that little slice of irony. I was like, what a <laughs> fucking arsehole, mate! <laughs> oh and, shit, yeah.
1: High ironic.
0: Uh, Nice little bit of irony in the genocide we've carried out there.
1: <laughs> they do this, and um, Lorgar, you know, gives a sermon at the end of the battle, and he talks about that they're going on pilgrimage. They find their new, um, well, they haven't found their new uh, sort of reason to exist as a legion, but they think that the pilgrimage will be the means by which they find it, and they intend to go back to uh, Cultus, their home planet. Uh, where Lorgar plans to meet Magnus his favourite brother and Primarch of the Thousand Sons where they'll have a good debate like the old days about spirituality and the real um, you know the material world and, and, and the sort of the, where those things meet and that kind of thing um, yeah. so they, they, they go back there um, have a, a fa- fairly quick time through the warp to go back there and uh arrive at colchis and there's a, a a really kind of i think this might be just a, a a piece of the writing that i liked in this book in that the the people of colchis treated the survivors of monarchia as sort of living martyrs that they were the icons that showed colchisian ignorance and um they treated them like uh, sort of returning heroes, and they processed through the streets, and there were uh, there was applause, and they threw flower petals at their feet and stuff like that. Um, it just seemed like a sort of uh, th- there were a whole bunch of little lines and little factoids about uh, Colchisian society that really lent credence to them being a uh, ultra religious um, uh, imperial civilization.
0: Yeah, uh, to be honest, I thought like there was all the whole. Most of the description of coaches, it just felt like it had been, you know, it was mostly pretty well written and it had been well thought out, and and you know felt like there was some depth and you know texture to the mm-hmm. to the way the world was depicted, and um, and, and and there's some chat around this point that they're kind of so basically like they've been the word bearers have been worshiping and trying to promote worship of the emperor. As a god, as a, in so, they've been basically pretty much openly religious. The emperor has come and like slapped them down for that, saying, "Stop being religious, kill more." Um, now they've started saying, "Well, the emperor's clearly not our friend." Like they're you know they they they're kind of pissed off with him. I think we can uh, fairly move on to that bit now. I mean, they're
1: back on cultures Um. Cyrene is taken to be sort of questioned by the the sort of local uh religious hierarchy about her survival and just basically question upon question upon question of how she survived and just trying to chronicle her story um but Magnus and Lorgar meet and you know they're they're each other's favorite uh, brother apparently yeah and, and it, sorry no just I was gonna say we can get into the details here but As a whole, whenever Primarchs appear, and especially when Primarchs appear with other Primarchs, there is no uh, evidence that they are in any way special whatsoever, in fact the complete opposite. This is different though, in that these are just, this is a conversation between two relatively smart people about the nature of their beliefs. and. Some of the questions that they ask each other of are totally legitimate, and the the lack of answers that are provided are yeah. also
0: like a legitimate source of beef as well. Yeah, no, I I I totally agree. This was a much more rounded depiction of Primarchs as characters, like because oftentimes Primarchs are just kind of these comically sort of one dimensional, you know, figures. Um, But this was this was felt much more um, substantial, and and there was like a line about you know yeah like brotherhood is a thing these books bang on a lot about, Um, (laughs) and but there was a line that just described that like the 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 bond between these two pretty well about how like they could um, I can't remember exactly what it was but it was something about them being silent in each other's presence and the comfort yeah that they felt with that and so that's that's that's, that was a good a description but also there was a really funny line which was like about why um he was why Magnus is one of the few of the other primarchs that Warger could relate to and it says he says the others were by varying degrees feral simpl- simpletons, cold-hearted instruments of warfare or vain glorious warlords <laughs> uh, they're all simpletons is a nice line.
1: This was uh, the conversation I think you referenced a little bit earlier, where Lorgar like, rages against the emperor and questions that like, for 100 years, he's been making worlds compliant in the same way, setting up these uh, religions uh, that sort of point towards the emperor and practicing faith in the exact same way. Why? Why now is he complaining? Why, like, why now has he chosen to publicly shame him? Uh, Why not 100 years ago? Why not set him straight then? And like, that is a very smart question and one that can't really be answered. And uh, Magnus sort of takes a fairly easy way out and just, you know, bloviates a little bit about how the emperor knows everything. And therefore, we just have to follow him and stuff.
0: And there's, there's a really good line about the Emperor at this point, um, which I, I thought like again, just did a lot more to sort of explain why some of these Primarchs might have be becoming sort of alienated from the Emperor, where it says So the Magnus is saying, um, the Emperor brought meaning, just not the meaning you hoped for and Lorgar is like he brought as many questions as he did answers. Father is hollowed through, infested by secrets. I hate that about him. He's a creature incapable of trust. And I thought that was a really good line, Father's hollowed through, infested by secrets. And it's kinda of like yeah, that that pretty much fits with the Emperor as he's been depicted to us so far, like carrying on all these sort of secret experiments, putting mm-hmm. placing people around like sort of chess pieces to um to carry out his will, basically. And 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 you yeah. know, there's a lot of hints that the sort of Everything going on might be part of a sort of master plan of the emperor. So, I just thought that was quite a good line, and and could help you to kind of understand why uh, these primarchs might become alienated from him.
1: But that that was uh, Horus's um, whinging was always based around uh, the emperor having secrets, and you know, not uh, not feeling close enough, or not feeling able to tell Horus all his secrets. And sure, I, I think it is. It is a good point. It's a good and well written point as well. But I think it's quite telling that the fact that someone has secrets, whether it's your father or not, could be the source of some kind of like um, complete familial breakdown. is is kind of um, ridiculous. I think um, it, it works within the books because I, I, I've sort of got a note later on that. Lorgar's problem is that he can't, he can't ever admit that he is wrong about anything. Um, it, he, he talks about it a lot, that, you know, always speak the truth and stuff like that. But he can't, he can't believe that his visions of a god uh, saving them is wrong. So yeah. he has to find a way to justify that. And in the end, it turns out that it's his also uh, colossal vanity Makes him think that it's him that will
0: be the 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 answer to everything. Yeah, yeah I think that's Not- N- basically how this section finishes off is he's like, wait a minute, maybe I'm the god.
1: Yeah, yeah and and I think it just shows that the whole idea of 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 these primarchs being avatars of the emperor and having like one aspect of him but also failures of it it just sort of by necessity leads to sort of stupid decisions and stuff like that because I think any normal human (laughs) can understand that all people have secrets and it's it's up to them whether to share them with you or not and for that to be the sort of the uh, catalyst for familial dissolution is just stupid to allow that to happen um
0: no, sorry, just to to dwell on that point, yeah. like I guess what's... yeah, like the stuff with Horus never rung true somehow, you know, like that never. I always felt like Horus, despite having multiple books, kind of dedicated to his turn to chaos, I never really felt it, you know. I think there's yeah. something here about just the 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 juxtaposition of that idea of emptiness with like, you know, they were waiting for the emperor to kind of fill them with some, you know, um, with the yeah. the justification for this belief system they've kind of built up, and then to to have him described as like maybe yeah I guess not so much the secrets but just like as a sort of empty you know hollowed out I thought that was quite
1: yeah powerful. no you're right you, you're right because Horace basically just wanted to know what his dad was doing um what Lorgar wants is a explanation for the visions that he's seeing and for you know for answers of the universe and for um, to be, to have his religion fulfilled and, well, there's that word again, fulfilled, and to not have that done and also to not have a proper explanation for why the emperor is doing this. I can absolutely see why those those two sort of stories are completely different. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, Lorgar is not like, right, time to get more limbs, boys. <laughs> He he, sort of says, "Right, let's let's go on this pilgrimage, which will last decades, and find out what those answers are." Yeah, that seems yeah. that seems a much more reasonable um, uh, sort of uh, path to take, rather than just um, becoming a, a an eye monster.
0: <laughs> yeah, sorry. Did you want to like, talk about the? I mean, I have some I stuff just- to say about this conversation as well. Uh, just
1: um, Magnus, um, Lorgar says to Magnus, like, you can help us because you look into the warp all the time. Um, you can help us um, find this place um, that is written of in the old scrolls um, of a place where gods and the souls of everything that's ever lived meet. And Magnus is like, you don't understand enough about what the warp is to be able to do that you just want to find a vessel for your belief. You want yeah. to find something worthy. You know, you now think the emperor isn't worthy of your of your faith, but you you need the faith to continue. So you're just trying to find something that is worthy of it. Um, that is a that is not the way
0: to begin uh, an intellectual exercise. Yeah, um, so it's like presented as if he sort of has a more scientific frame of mind towards it. Um, and Warger is just already knows the answer that he wants, and then like Warger's like Warger's like to Magnus. He's like, yeah, but there's there's stuff out there, isn't there? Or it's like, like you know, as if to say, there's, and and Magnus is like, uh, no, um, don't think you know. There's, just, what, there, there's psychic sharks, <laughs> you know, by those, don't you? <laughs> it's like that, that's about it. We just got to watch out for them, and, and that's about it. Um, and I thought like. Some of the Orgras chat here again I, I thought, like I've said before, there was other characters or legions have been you know, portrayed with a sense of tragedy about them, but I think this was done more successfully. It talks about how he's been told that his life was a lie, as he says. That he's ruined countless civilizations with false false faith. That every one of my brothers who laughed at me for seeking a greater purpose in life was right to laugh at our bloodline's only fool. So just the sense that he's been yeah, doing all, doing all these things, built on a lie, and laughed at for it, and and um, you know, his face being sort of not repaid. What's great because you're you're totally right that like,
1: um, I've I've talked about uh, how I I haven't believed in a lot of the um, turns to chaos before in the past because they just seem like based on embarrassment, but this also feels based on embarrassment, but it's like a deeper sort of shaming all-encompassing embarrassment that i absolutely can believe is just like um it's just the case and and magnus really doesn't help things a lot with his sort of truthfulness in that he goes yeah i mean yeah i I totally see why you are humiliated you know and (laughs) when you're really humiliated we've all been we've all experienced this you don't want your mate to come up to you and just go man That must, you must be so humiliated right now. (laughs) Like, that that does not help, you know? Um, But an interesting point that comes up, and you go, and also, I bet you probably think that um, you're probably going to end up like the other two lost Primarchs and their legions, you know, those ones? And have we spoken about that before? Has that come up? Oh, no, sorry. So I think it has tangentially.
0: It has been alluded to a bit. It's been very Um, sort of coyly- referenced as if like they know that this is a big deal that the fans want to hear about and now i do want to hear about it because they're just like dropping these little hints and, and it's saying that like they've they've you know they were ordered basically never to speak of them again you know not say their names or anything and that would kind of instantly make sure like oh what was this all about you no know, that yes
1: yeah, so basically there were there had been two more legions that we haven't heard about uh led by two more primarchs and that they have in some way being expunged for some obviously for some high crime or something like that but um they took oaths not to talk about them and even now when it's just them just these two brothers magnus is still going stick to the oath so obviously like something huge happened in in the lore that i'm sure a lot of people care more about so yeah uh, magnus is like it's possible that you could end up like, or no, he says something like, "You fear that you could end up like that, um, never to be remembered by us, never to be um, to have you to be expunged from the histories, and you know you might." <laughs> and, and, and yeah, I just remember <laughs> laughing at that. But Lor- Lorgar again makes a really, like, a really sort of human point. He he just goes. Like, will you be able to do that if that happens to us and you're ordered never to mention my name again, even amongst your brothers? Will you be able to do that come, come the time when you talk with Gilliman or something again and you, you will never mention Lorgard, the name of your favourite brother? And that seems, yeah, that just seems like a, um, a kind of unnecessarily human, well-written point. Yeah. Um, and- that really sort of adds a little bit of depth uh, to to all of this, and what does, what does Magnus say in response to that? Does he just go, yeah, probably? Um. I, think, I I I'm, I can't remember his response actually. That would have been good to take, but I, he fudges it. I think basically, uh, Magnus warns Lorgar not to look into the warp for his answers and teleports away, saying that um, he clearly only wants to find you know the 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 icon that will. That is worthy of his faith. He doesn't want to find answers. He just wants to be proven right. And that way, you know, lies the death of his legion and then teleports away, which some, somehow causes an explosion this time. It's never done that before.
0: Yeah, and I was like, I was like, I just, the only word I could think for this was like rude, you know, like, uh, I could have walked outside. He fucking exactly. smashed all his glassware up and, and it all caused a massive tubes. scene. The other space where he <laughs> thought there was an attack going on. Um, all his beer-brewing equipment, all in shards all over the floor. So, so Argyll Tal has kind of rushed up to Lorgar's sanctum. And this bit was a revelation to me in that it seemed that Orger could telepathically communicate with Argyll Tal. <laughs> yes, yes. The- and that was... Has that been mentioned before? No. Nope. Can other Primarchs do that? No, no. Well, uh... W- let's face it probably whenever they need to (laughs) yeah although like admittedly another thing that comes up here and this is maybe actually a strength of the book rather than 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 just like something that should be mentioned before is maybe some of these things are being deliberately unfurled to us in this way like we get a reference here that you know rather than just like here are your characters they are these archetypes and here's how they interact with each other and there's lots of fighting um like there which i think was mentioned for the first time here that um, tau So you've kind of talked about Tal and Zaphen, how being the slightly different like wings of the, Luigian. legion, um, and it references the fact that tau had been, like at least in training to be a chaplain, mm-hmm. and he'd had some and kind ta- of fallen out, or he'd rejected that, and had some kind of fallen out with Erebus, um, who we haven't really mentioned at all, even though he's like he's up to now been the biggest word bearer in the series. Like
1: I. This book is called The First Heretic. I had assumed it was going to be about Erebus. So did I. Um, I'm quite happy that it's not, to be honest. But um, it was, you know, it was the assumption that I was having. It was also mentioned very briefly at the, like in some of the first lines of the book. And I was like, okay, backstory of Erebus. That's what this is about. But it's
0: not at all. Um, and, and, I think just, in, in... Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, it certainly made clear that him, along with Cora have been sort of, um, you know, going about doing something shifty and putting ideas in Lorgar's head a little bit.
1: Definitely, and I kind of like the idea that it's um, it's these two sort of normal legionaries, um, who are turning the head of Lorgar. Yeah, um, it, he's clearly being led astray, but there's a, a, a. I like the fact that this scene sort of undercuts our opin- opinion of Lorgar. it? it did to me anyway. He meets Cyrene and he says that um, you know, he just wanted to meet her and that he asks for her forgiveness and she is obviously awestruck by being in the presence of of the primarch just like everyone else is. And he he sort of couches this request for forgiveness as if it's like something that she can give freely when in fact you know he knows that he's being manipulative and shitty uh he he sort of uses those those tools that horace did as well uh in just manipulating everyone and he knows he's doing it and so he's you know he's slightly different and, and better painted than the rest of the primarchs but he is in no way a truly sympathetic character I mean, they can't be they're genocidal maniacs yeah, yeah um
0: that that's true that hadn't really jumped out at me but now that you describe it yeah he's got that same kind of like um or i, I think more convincingly depicted here than with Horace. like that that um guy idea of someone who's just really smooth and how they you know interact with people and, and that sort of thing um he, um he has that innate
1: superiority that he thinks you know he, he has the right to do whatever he wants uh, that is sort of central to the, the whole idea of the Primarchs, I suppose. Yeah,
0: like he sort of, and he kind of says to Tal so they're all going to go off on the, well, they're basically saying they're, they're going to go on a pilgrimage, as he puts it, which is an idea from their, like a concept from their, the belief system on Colchis, um and to look for this kind of truth that he wants to find. And he, but he kind of doesn't want to, he, just, he wants to be hard to find as he puts it so he basically invites himself on to but like you say frames it as if he's being very humble um, invites himself on to Argyl-Tal and the Serrated Sons uh, like fleet uh, for this crusade yeah. um, and there's a bit here about right at the end there's this kind of bit that's written from like a sort of internal voice of it's Sorry, an interesting
1: not. chapter this one because it is it's written in both third and first person from lorgar's point of view um,
0: and So, like, yeah like, lorgar has this thing that he refers to a few times It's, is like reminded me a little bit of like theories that come, people come up with for why aliens must have established human civilization because they're like you know what i mean when they look at various ancient civilizations yeah. and like in the broadest sense they're like well there's all these similarities so it must have all come from the same source um kind of thing uh he kind of has ideas like that where he's like whatever you know all these different cultures we encounter have this kind of you know these comparable beliefs they must come from you know they must be true in some way and refer to some true thing but anyway Mm -hmm. there's quite an interesting bit where he so as we've seen many times he refers to um you know things from Terran myth as in like actual human history, but with the name slightly changed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and then he um but he compares this with uh something from Colchis um and some figures now lost to time's embrace who he says are called Khan, Tizen, Sonat, and Narag, which are very similar to the names of the four Chaos Gods. Um, I've heard something like those before in the past, Will. <laughs> and but but changed in the same way that they change, you know, yeah. the the um the the names of things from earth. Uh so that's interesting. See if that's followed up on. And he kind of finishes that bit by basically saying because he, he's gold. <laughs> we haven't mentioned that, we've mentioned it before. He's actually gold. Um yeah. and he's like, Wait a minute, at the center of that religion that we're looking for is a golden lord. Um And I'm gold, (laughs) Uh, so it's like... It's literally just occurred to this motherfucker (laughs) that he fits. So, and that's right at the end of this section. That sets us up for part two, which is called pilgrimage. I think by the end of this, yeah, we're going to see a lot more fighting and some some Uh, demons. Some meat. Some for sure, meat. some some meat mittens or whatever that was the last week. Um.
1: So that's um, that's that's um, where we left it off. It was great. It was um, it was a really fast read. I powered through it. I'm actually looking forward to getting stuck back into the next part. Um, we are rarely this prepared, and yeah. we are recording this well ahead of time. Uh, yeah. And that never happens, so that just speaks to, um, you know, us both enjoying this so
0: much. Yeah, totally. I have the, like, exactly the same feeling. I actually, like, want to read this, whereas the last one felt like a real chore by the end of it. Um, uh, but this one, I, I'm keen to know where this goes, and uh, yeah. I mean, like, because that's the whole first half of this. There's been, apart from that maybe one or maybe two chapters, there's, like, barely any action at all. Um, yeah. So, and and sometimes the action is the most fun bit of these books. But this has been really good without with hardly any of that. So I'm interested to see where it goes once it, presumably the action picks up in, in the the next two bits. Um, but yeah, i um, looking forward to, to seeing how this all pans out. I guess Erebus is going to show his hand ha- a bit more. He must uh, do, yeah. So, um yeah uh thanks everybody for listening
1: um hopefully you will continue to do so if you want to be uh in contact with us uh to give us any suggestions for the future or just to talk about our own stupid opinions please contact us at uh, horaceartics at gmail.com um if you wouldn't mind uh spreading the word uh telling friends is really the only way we have to uh, get new listeners and stuff and it's um it's really great that um Uh, some of you have been doing that so uh thanks once again yeah
0: thanks very much for listening everyone and we'll we'll uh speak to you soon cheers